0: Welcome to Seekers and Scholars, a podcast from the Mary Eddy Library in Boston, Massachusetts, and online at mbelibrary.org. I'm your host, Jonathan Eder. And in this episode, we are going to explore the fertile topic of American religious history as family history. So I'm very delighted to be in studio with our guest, Dr. Sarah Giorgini, author of Household Gods, The Religious Lives of the Adams Family. Sarah is also series editor of the papers of John Adams at the Massachusetts Historical Society. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Hello, Jonathan. Hello, listeners, seekers, and scholars.
0: So, Sarah, thanks for that big embrace. Um, and that was very reflective of your talk that was held recently at the Mary Baker Eddy Library on your book, uh, the webcast of which is available on the library's website, and I encourage you listeners, if you haven't attended it or seen it already, to enjoy Sarah's wonderful presentation and embrace during that talk. Before we get started, we we know that the Adamses were not polytheists, um, so why did you call it Household Gods?
1: Thanks for asking about the title of Household Gods, because this was a surprise to me. I was never entirely sure how to sort of pull together their public service and all of their explorations in religious culture until I walked out of the archive and into the Adams National Historical Park in Quincy. And when you visit the Stone Library, you'll see this set of six Greco-Roman Orators bronze busts sitting over the fireplace where Henry wrote and John Quincy wrote, busts that traveled back and forth really originating in Napoleon's Paris when John Quincy Adams bought them, all the way to the White House mantle and back. And they're meant to signify kind of two things. So the first thing is their commitment to public service. Much like Virgil's Aeneas, these were the household gods, the totems of lowercase r republicanism, that they could pick up in the middle of the night and take on the road with them in case they needed to found a new republic, something that the Adamses often thought about in their years of political activity. And secondly, it made me think about the importance of travel, in religion? Mm -hmm. What are the ideas that are portable? What are the beliefs that you take with you no matter where you go?
0: I thought maybe we could start, Sarah, by revisiting a couple moments from your author talk where you talk about how you approached the Adamses and the subject of religion as something based in the home. Why don't we play a couple of moments from, from your talk?
1: Yeah, I think it's so interesting to consider family history as a lens for us to understand how religion has changed in America, because from the period really that we've just covered, we've galloped through the colonial period to kind of the beginning of the 20th century, the cultivation, the education, the idea of devotion, those three ideas are nurtured in the home. I was very struck by thinking about the home rather than the church as a place where the Adams children first received religious instruction, as a place where it kind of became a springboard for them to go explore different religious worlds.
0: So I thought that was a very lovely idea and almost a kind of ideal of what a religious background in the home could be for people. The idea that you would be nurtured in religion, but also given some permission to explore your own sense of faith.
1: When I first set out on the journey of researching and writing Household Gods, I had in mind the idea of charting one American family's journey through religions. Mm -hmm. And I use that plural with emphasis, because that's what I found their journeys to be—movements through different religious ideas and encounters um, with new worlds of experience. I wasn't wholly sure which family I was going to start with. And luckily, in the Adams Family papers held at the Massachusetts Historical Society, we have 10 generations' worth of religious experience to mine. What I found in talking about the Adamses and in really delving into every corner of their religious education, experimentation, devotion, was that they were great explorers Mm. from the Puritan Adamses who came over in the 17th century settling in what's now Quincy, then Braintree, all the way through the revolutionary era Adamses, whom we probably remember best, John and Abigail Adams, their son John Quincy Adams, his wife Louisa Catherine, stretching into the Victorian Adamses, people like the cultural critic Henry Adams and his brother, the economic analyst Brooks, the progressive era Adamses, What I found is that across the generations, they were curious, they were cosmopolitan, they were Christian, and they were kind of famous for it. Now, the Adamses are remarkable because they live at the heart of political power for more than a century in America. We have two presidents. We have several diplomats. We have a host of impressive women who run the farms, cultivate the education of their children, and make really important cultural contributions in their own right. So I was very curious about how religion translated in public and private for a family like this, a family that was always in the spotlight. And, you know, not until the 20th century were they terribly popular. What I found as well across the generations was that the Adamses were always interested in strengthening religious toleration. They Mm. were interested in how to react to a new idea, how to understand it, how to receive it. That didn't mean they always got it right. And in this, I think they were very much often in step with their peers. Americans always learn a little bit more about other religions, not from the pulpit, but from each other. So it's a conversation with someone of a different faith, not particularly a minister's printed sermon, that intrigues them, that gets them thinking about what new ideas they might want to embrace next. They were unique in the fact that they wrote it all down. Wow. So, to my great delight as a historian, I found that the Adamses prayed and told. So, I have letter books, I have correspondence, I have photographs, I have diaries. I have great material culture at the Adams National Historical Park in Quincy to really use to illustrate their religious journeys.
0: You know, For us here at the Mary Baker Eddy Library, one of the reasons that we cherished your book so much were these touchdowns between Mary Baker Eddy's experience and thought and things that seemed to be coming up in terms of how the Adamses viewed things and what informed their religious journeys. Mary Baker Eddy summarizes what it was like for her as, as a child. She writes, quote, among the list of blessings infinite, I count these dear. Devout Orthodox parents, my early culture in the Congregational Church, the daily Bible reading and family prayer, my cradle hymn and the Lord's Prayer repeated at night, my early association with distinguished Christian clergymen who held fast to whatever is good, used faithfully God's word, and yielded up graciously what he took away. End of quote.
1: Yes, I think what Mary Baker Eddy has done there is really pinned and framed the power of parenting mm-hmm. in the 19th century. And this was something in the course of writing Household Gods that helped me a great deal because it allowed me to bring in the Adams women's story in a way that I didn't know if I was going to be able to do. To talk about how Abigail Adams, or her daughter-in-law Louisa Catherine Adams, or even her granddaughter-in-law, Abigail Brooks Adams, nurtured religious devotion and sentiment with the children. Then I started to poke around a little bit and think about the home as a platform for religious change. Mm. So it's not just a place where ideas are kind of mindlessly imbibed. It's a place where they're inherited, debated, discarded, renewed. And that made me think differently about that 10 generation archive I had, because all of a sudden family letters took on a different level of intimacy when it came to revealing religious thought and change. This was super important to me because even going back to my Puritans back in England, I didn't have much material for them and why they left. But I can tell you the sermons they heard, the churches they attended together, and I can guess what the dinner table talk was about to a good degree. And I found this to be true as well with John and Abigail, this idea that parents were responsible for molding, for shaping, for refining the selfhood of the children that they bore and raised. And this just really swept them into all kinds of religious dilemmas too. What I discovered by placing the home as the forefront for understanding religion and change is that it's not a static place for religion. Mm -hmm. It's a place where religion is constantly being transformed and questioned. And some of the most, really the sharpest Insights that I had into someone like Henry Adams, who grows up to be quite an agnostic and quite an atheist, some of those things were buried in his childhood. So I have to understand that he rarely nailed reciting the Ten Commandments, that he went to church because, as he said, he liked to hold the door open for pretty women. Mm-hmm. These little things started to add up, and I thought, I've got to understand the Adamses not just as political figures or public servants or presidents or cultural critics, but how they operate in private, because that space between home and church is so dynamic. It's so interesting. The church isn't the only place to go to understand religion, and I think a lot of people— Thinking about how they come to be seekers and scholars would start by telling you a family story. Well, my mother read me this story, or my father told me about this part of the religious tradition that I grew up in. And I think really getting to the roots of that upends some of the things we know about the traditional story of American religion. Mm -hmm. And that's really what kept me going, is trying to think about, well, This absolutely changes our textbook knowledge of American religious history. If we think about the home as a place that is not just where religion is stable, but where it's a laboratory for change.
0: Families change through marriage. You bring in a whole other family, and suddenly things are radically different. So I'm just curious, could you talk about what that meant for the Adamses So to lead us into that, I'd love to share a quote from Mary Baker Eddy in a chapter she titles Marriage in her chief work, Science and Health. And she writes the following, quote, There is moral freedom in soul. Never contract the horizon of a worthy outlook by the selfish exaction of all another's time and thoughts. With additional joys, benevolence should grow more diffusive. The narrowness and jealousy which would confine a wife or a husband forever within four walls, will not promote the sweet interchange of confidence and love.
1: Thinking about the Adams marriages actually led me back into religious history, because Mm -hmm. something we see beginning with John Quincy and Louisa Catherine and going forward is a huge trend in American religion in the long 19th century— which is interdenominational marriage, Mm. right? So people from two very different paths who consent to marriage, form an intellectual partnership, start a family, and also have to think about how their particular heritages of faith combine or don't, or create something wholly new. Mm -hmm. I was delighted to discover how much Adam's husbands and wives still talked about religion in their letters. Being so often apart, the pages were often the one place where they could reunite. And I wasn't quite sure where they would go with their religious beliefs once they married. So with John Quincy and Louisa Catherine, John Quincy is raised in a liberal congregationalist church in Quincy. He ventures into Unitarianism, where he roots the family pretty firmly for the next hundred years. But he explores all these other faiths. His wife, Louisa Catherine Adams, is raised nominally as an Anglican, doesn't attend much church, and has some very distinctive ideas on the quality of American preaching once she lands here. She also struggles quite a bit with religious toleration. So I got to see how an interdenominational marriage worked kind of closely close up with that generation, if we take the story one step forward more into Charles Francis and Abigail Brooks Adams' marriage, we actually see something that you just mentioned, the growth of benevolence. Mm. Because Abigail Brooks Adams, while she sometimes prays at a different church, she'll tend toward Episcopal while Charles Francis takes the boys to the Unitarian Church, and she'll take the girls to the Episcopal Church— She spends a lot of money on different religious charities. So, the one thing they have in common is benevolence, it is their checkbook. And so, she spends abundantly and is a major philanthropist in Boston society. So we see the home is very much nurturing. Their marriage nurtures that sense of benevolence to a great degree. So between those two early Victorian generations, we see a big trend, interdenominational marriage, and we see kind of a nascent ecumenism in the form of following the money that women spend, right? The rise of women as religious philanthropists.
0: I'd like to play another clip from your talk that you gave here at the library. It pertains specifically to Henry and Brooks, the progressive era Adamses.
1: For Henry and Brooks, you know, their task is less to build a community of faith. It's more to detect patterns in history so they can do the one thing that historians really shouldn't predict. Mm -hmm. And this is something that they really seize on. I think maybe what I'm coming to and thinking through this out loud is that they start to think you're your own providence. You are fulfilling, you're making your own plan, and you will unfold along with it.
0: So I find that idea really fascinating, Sarah. And it has to do with this idea of the experience of the individual within the family and then the the larger community. How is space made for the... Um, the individual sense of providence, that this is my individual journey. And then how does that fit into to a larger context?
1: So I think you've just nailed the overarching paradox of American history from the founding era to present, which is how do you construct selfhood? How do you construct an individual identity while also belonging to a community? That tension between self and community is sometimes mediated by religion, as we've seen, or by religious exploration. So if we think about how Americans approach this question of selfhood, in the long 19th century, earlier Adamses would have said, religion is about self-perfection. It will help Mm. me be a better man, a better father, a better husband, a better citizen. By the time we come to Henry and Brooks, they are thinking about religion in the abstract, right, as something that's intellectually useful, but they're thinking about spirituality as sort of a way to understand just being, just being oneself. And with Henry and Brooks, one of the most striking facts, just to pull it back into family history for a moment, which is always right here on the table when we're thinking about religion, neither of them have kids, right? So there is only one person really to refine, and it's Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand, going into the 20th century, this idea that the Adams dynasty is dying out somewhat Mm. purposefully is Mm. very much on their minds, because Brooks and Henry are the people who are also responsible for curating that family archive, Brooks is responsible for turning over what becomes the Adams National Historical Park in Quincy to the federal government. So in many ways, they're thinking about the relationship between self and community in a way that's very different than the other Adamses, because they're not thinking like fathers, per se. But they are thinking about how they can yield intellectual heirs. So opening up the family papers, opening up the family home, Henry really funding his niece's education to a great degree, something quite modern and quite lovely to read about Henry Adams, his encouragement of women's education is something that helps us rethink that tension between self and community. Because what I came to see is it's not the selfhood part that's so interesting. Of course, that feels super modern, right? To see, Mm -hmm. like, how am I what am I what I should be? Is it just all about me? What is the me that I should meet tomorrow? This is not the kind of thing that was as interesting to me in the end as, What did they think the community was? Their idea of who they were accountable to, what did they owe to each other? And who is the each other? Who is the community to whom they belonged? Because it is vast. It is both the Adamses of the past that they feel they owe a little something to, but it's also anyone who's not an Adams. There's a huge change in how Henry and Brooks think about the responsibility of public service and how they can implement their moral beliefs. Let's not say religious, mm-hmm. because with Henry, that's not wholly true, but how they can implement their philosophical ideals and manifest them in society. So you have a real change here with Henry and Brooks in terms of how they think about self, how they think about community and how to mediate it. Because in some cases, religion just is not doing the trick. And by religion, I mean organized religion. Now, Henry and Brooks are a sharp distinction here too. And I could have ended the book with Brooks and had a pretty clear declension tale from the Puritans to the progressives. But then I started reading about Brooks, and he just kind of threw a wrench in all my best plans to end with Henry because he, again, was Christian, cosmopolitan, curious. He was someone who was an explorer who really ached and stretched toward toleration, didn't always achieve it, particularly in his understanding of the transit between Protestant and Catholic ideals. He's more interested in that than, you know, the me I am going to be. Um, Henry— a very self-centered intellectual, if ever there was one, to our great delight as scholars, because he is someone who really explores every corner of selfhood to the nth degree. So I think there's a change happening in terms of religion as a useful bridge in this period between self and community. Now, the question to me as a historian is, if religion isn't working, what are the other bridges that people are using? And that's when we turn to look at other forms of philosophical reasoning or culture or faith or literature or the arts.
0: Well, I thought I would bring our conversation to a close again on this subject of, of the future, so this was actually published in the in the New York uh, World, uh, December 30th of 1900. And the New York World newspaper had put out this question to the prominent thinkers of, of the time. Um, and the question was, what is the chief danger, social or political, that confronts the new century? And this is what they published from Mary Baker Eddy's response. This is what she writes. To my sense, the most imminent dangers confronting the coming century are robbing people of life and liberty under warrant of the scriptures, the rights of politics and human power, industrial slavery, insufficient freedom of honest competition, ritual, creed, and trust in place of the golden rule, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them." How would that have corresponded to the Adams' viewpoint?
1: So I think moving from one founding mother to another, I want to give the last word to Abigail Adams here. Because what Mary Baker Eddy said very much syncs with Abigail's belief at another revolutionary period in American history, which is that there is nothing binding upon the humane mind but religion. Those mm-hmm. are Abigail's words. And she said them not to state a fact, but to remind people not to lose religion along the way, as they faced all of these kind of grand social changes and personal transformations, this was something that the Adamses really felt keenly about. When I started Household Gods, it had a lot to do with John Adams sort of sifting through his own past and thinking about the significance of religion and all the changes that had happened in American history since his family had emigrated here from rural England. And he, he really pinned religion as the identifying North Star Of their success here. And that train of events that you just mentioned, all the industrial upheaval and social change, well, he had a different laundry list of other big turning points in American history. But the overarching idea was the same, which is if you hold on to faith regardless of what's happening, and if you continue seeking, whether it's within your faith or outside of it, so long as you hold to certain religious principles you will succeed and the nation will progress. So I think there's an idea there across uh, the faiths and across the Founding Mothers' words about the significance of religion in pushing forward progress as we must every day.
0: Mm. Well, that's lovely. Thank you, Abigail, and thank you, Sarah. Thank you. (laughs) For being such a wonderful representative of her and this, this whole eclectic, extraordinary family. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for traveling with us on the highways and byways of seekers and scholars. We were so pleased to have Dr. Sarah Giorgini, author of Household Gods, The Religious Lives of the Adams Family, for this episode as we explored American religious history as family history. You can also watch Dr. Giorgini's talk on her book, by going to mbelibrary.org author authortalk. Please join us for upcoming episodes when we invite scholars and experts to amplify upon themes and stories found in recent articles in the Mary Baker Eddy Library's Women of History series. For example, Vida Goldstein, a leading Australian suffragist, and Violet Hay, a celebrated hymnist and pioneer of Christian science in South Africa. You can learn more about these and other inspiring women by going to mbelibrary.org/woh. I'm Jonathan Eder. Thank you for listening to Seekers and Scholars. This podcast is produced by the Mary Baker Eddy Library. Copyright 2019.